guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back, listeners, to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa Fuck 2019 edition. Yeah! <laughs> we are back at ya, coming at ya. It, I know, has been a long time, but we had some issues with, well, life and the ability to record, which we will tell you about shortly. But we know that we've probably got some new listeners from PodCon, which seems like so long ago now. So if you're a new listener, welcome. Thanks for hanging in there. We're super excited to have you here. (laughs) This is going to be a really interesting episode for you to start on. (laughs) It really, really is. And for those of you that thought we quit the podcast, I'm sorry to report back. We didn't. Mm, oh never like we're doing this till we're dead we will not be stopped (laughs) ever ever um i'm gonna say now to this is oh i'm cj by the way and i'm melissa hi it's us it's episode like 23 but you might be new i think it's 22 is oh okay no you're right it is (laughs) it is 22 and i live in louisiana new orleans it is mardi gras weekend so if you hear marching bands in the background i live a block off the parade routes so consider it a mardi gras gift from new orleans to you listeners (laughs) Woo! party and Um, unfortunately I might not have the best audio quality today, um, so I apologize if I sound echoey and more amateur than normal. Um, I am in a 360-square-foot room with absolutely nothing in it but a bed, so unfortunately, that's not the greatest atmosphere to record sound. I, for the visual, am underneath a shower curtain made of cloth that I have weighted to my windowsill, perched on my bed, and I'm literally on the ground between my bed and my windowsill trying to get you some more professional sound quality. So I hope (laughs) it better fucking work. (laughs) Yeah. So, Melissa, do you... Uh, Do you want to go into the story as to why we have not been able to record for a while? Sure. Um, Well, you know, as our last episode left off, we'd just gotten back from PodCon. We had the best fucking weekend of our lives. We made Mm -hmm. tons of friends. We made plans for all these different collab partnerships. We got a bunch of new listeners. We came back home, guns blazing, ready to just take this podcast to the next level. And as luck would have it, as Melissa's life would have it, the universe was like, you know what? Nothing is as fun without a series of obstacles. So, 
when you get home, I'm going to make sure that I make life as difficult as possible for you to succeed at everything you want to succeed at. Therefore, I'm going to destroy your fucking apartment with an upstairs flood that comes through your ceiling and damages everything you own and forces you to move out for an entire month, living out of the trunk of your car and shifting between house to house. Boo. So that's the story. Um, but literally yesterday was the one month anniversary of the year of the flood. Um, and today I'm back in my apartment. So are you happy to be back? Uh, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I would be happy to be back in the state of my apartment a month and a day ago. Mm. when like i had things in here and like it was my home now it just looks like i like snuck into an abandoned building and i'm squatting like that's what it that's what my living situation looks like right now there's just like clothes everywhere and just like shit everywhere word well i'm glad you're done living out of your suitcase at least (laughs) me too what a shit show literally yeah literally mm. we won't even go into that <laughs> don't even need to go there we're not even gonna go there the, i think we should just say this one thing for those of you who have been listening for a while if i forget what episode it was but there was it an was episode like the second or first episode yeah it was one of the first like three episodes where <laughs> melissa mentioned the fat nintendo kid that lived upstairs he made a comeback in this situation and that's all that we're gonna say <laughs> And he is now no longer in the building. No, he is. I'm stuck with them for all of March. Oh, okay. And yeah, so the fat Nintendo kid who destroyed my apartment is still living above me. In fact, I hope he can hear me right now. Ooh. Um, Curse him. And the Hobbit is also still there, which is the fat Nintendo kid's mother. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they will be gone in about a month, so I'll really be able to rejoice when that day comes. You have a whole month to hex their apartment. You have a whole month to hex their apartment. <laughs> You're going to have to like steal me some fat Nintendo kid ass hairs or something so I can perform <laughs> blood magic. Oh my god. <sighs> so we thought that we would... we Well, I think we both needed to start this episode by just taking a moment to acknowledge that 2019 is a year that is not to be fucked with and i (laughs) and i think and part of why i wanted to talk about this is that i think this is the case for a lot of people it's certainly the case for a lot of people in my network so if you're having a really fucking weird 2019 know that you are not alone (laughs) well welcome to the shit show and we're, you know, we're going to be posting weekly episodes from here on out. So know that at least no matter how shitty this year gets, every Monday night, you will be able to listen to us talk about it <laughs> and talk about amazing women who will make you feel better. Exactly. Is there anything else we want to, we don't have to like spend the whole episode hashing out shit, but is there anything? Well, I mean, I think, I feel like you and I literally have nothing positive to say in this intro. (laughs) Like, I mean, like we got to the highest high after PodCon and then it was like plummeted to the lowest of lows and you and I literally are like, 
you know, we're we're in the tower moment. So I don't even know that we should even be introing. <laughs> like, well, here's here's a moment of levity. So today, sort of. So today, I went to the doctors just for like a sinus thing, and not that I was super worried. But I was, like, a little late on my period this month. And so I was like, since I'm here, can you guys just take a pregnancy test real quick? Like, I just, given the way this year is going, I just need to, like, scratch that off my anxiety list. Like, could you just quickly do it? So good news, guys. I'm not pregnant. So nice. that's pretty much, like, the highlight of 2019 so far. Like, I wasn't pregnant, guys. So that, that's fantastic. Extremely optimistic. God, I, I don't know that I have anything positive to contribute to highlights unfortunately well so we're gonna do something tonight unless we decide to cut it that we've never done we've mentioned tarot multiple times on this podcast i've mentioned multiple times that i'm into it i decided when i was gonna pull some cards tonight we're gonna make it real quick and if they're bad cards we're just gonna cut it and cheat uh for for a little 2019 pick me up message so give me one second we can cut this part i'm gonna shuffle the cards kind of sounds like fapping on the microphone a little bit but it's me shuffling cards guys what's fapping oh just google it later (laughs) (laughs) so many cards just came out okay basically guys i'm gonna make it really really quick it'll wait get get closer to the mic oh okay hang on let me spread them out so i can look at them Okay, basically, guys, we're going to go super, super quick. This is a speed read. So the cards that came down were the Nine of Pentacles, the Death card of fucking course. What a fucking shock. The Eight of Cups, which is a card of someone sadly walking away from something. Oh, wow. What a surprise. The Ace of Cups, which is a card of blessings, of unexpected blessings. So we got that. The Queen of Pentacles, which is about material success. And then the Five of Cups, which is some dude looking really sad about what he lost. But... It's also a reminder that you still have great things because in the Five of Cups, he's crying over three spilt daiquiris, but behind him are two full daiquiris. So basically, what I get from this reading is that, yes, this year is hard, and there have been some really sad moments, and there will be others, and lots of transformations, and even good transformations can be extremely challenging in the moment. But we have the Ace of Cups down, the Nine of Pentacles, the Queen of Pentacles. These are all really good cards of material abundance and emotional happiness. So just focus on the positive, right? Affirmations. I hate when people say that shit when you're going through a hard time. Just focus on the positive. But, I mean, there is something to be said about that medicine. So that's it. The end. I want to pull one more card just to make it funny at the end. Let's take this one. Justice. Great. Go to law school this year, guys. And that's our tarot reading for 2019. (laughs) I also... Sorry, I have a shout out. Yeah, go for it. Or did you want to say something about the tarot reading? Oh, I just had something that kind of related to the messages. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I should say it now or after you go. Say it. No, say it. Oh, okay. So I have been attending these work events for the past couple of days, and they had a keynote speaker today who actually had something relevant to contribute to the room. And it was a little diagram that showed um, the progression of like the power of the brain 
And so she basically was saying that, like, it starts with your thoughts, and your thoughts influence your emotions, and then your emotions influence your body's response. Mm. So whether that be, like, anxiety, fear, sadness, or even happiness and, like, other excitement, and then that your body's response uh, influences your performance. So mm. basically it's, like, thoughts to emotions, emotions to body response, to body response to performance, and how you perform in life in any scenario really begins with your thought process. Mm. Shona, yeah, in the, in the words of New Orleanians, yeah, you right, you right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to, I want to say something. Uh, something that I'm proud of this year is that I, so I downloaded, we're not getting paid for this, so I shouldn't even say it, but I downloaded the Headspace app, like the full paid app, which for anyone who doesn't know is a meditation app. It was on sale in January, so I bought it. And I have to admit that I haven't been doing it the last week because I've just been really depressed. I get really bad PMDD. And it can be really hard to meditate when you're depressed because you're in a weird head. It's it's literally just like sit in your head while you're sad, which is not to excuse me not doing it. But it's just like hard to motivate myself to do that when I'm in a bad mood. But I will say before this week, I was doing really well with it. And like, I hate to say this, as I just said that I took a week off, but it, it makes a huge difference. Like I really notice a difference on the days when I meditate versus the days that I don't. Like I'm so much more calm. I'm way less reactive to stuff. So all that to say, word life on what that girl said at the keynote. Right? It's yeah. It's not a game. It's real yeah. life. But you know what? Like one thing to like point on that is that like when you are in the low low, like you're typically not like jumping, you know, up to like jump into positive mode it's like when you're in the low low you kind of just want to like be there for a minute yeah no totally but then it's like how long's too long i that's girl you read my mind right before (laughs) well this kind of plays into the woman i'm going to talk about today but before this call or before the recording i was thinking about the importance of being in emotions like whether they're good or bad but there's this delicate line like you don't want to repress emotions but you also don't want to wallow in them and that's why emotions are so hard because like how do you tread that fine line you know of like feeling what you're feeling but not getting like overwhelmed by it or stuck there it's fucking hard yeah it's really hard and i feel like i'm in that place right now where i'm just like you know what the low's been pretty low and then they just keep getting lower and lower and lower and then the lower they get the more i become used to it and immune to it and then i just stop feeling and now i'm like not even a human anymore i'm just kind of like an object in a room Mm. (laughs) a a potato that's how i describe it yeah (laughs) just like this potato being like okay there's also this thing that happens that I think you're going through right now. We're like, and this was me in 2016, where just thing after thing after thing would not go my way. And it got to the point where I would just like laugh. Like it was just so endless that I just like, I would just start laughing every time something went wrong. I'm like, of course this happened. Oh yeah. Like, why wouldn't this happen? Yeah. No, that's what happened that day that my car broke down or that I got that flat tire. I already forgot about that because yeah. then you broke your hand. Yeah. So it's just like <laughs> house Christ. destroyed, everything I own destroyed. And like keep in mind all of that furniture was destroyed literally 2 weeks after I paid for it. Like I had just remodeled my apartment, which is like also just kind of like who in the fuck decided 
to like put this on me yeah yeah. And then the car, and then the hand, and then family, and then, you know, other relationships. It's just, like, one thing after the next where you kind of just stand there and you're like, all right, like, bring, keep bringing them on. Like, at this point. Right. You know, what the fuck else you got? Like, might right. as well get them all out of the way now. Right. Right. Which is, like, I feel like that is life. I feel like it happens in waves. Like, bad crap tends to, like, conglomerate. And then... You're just, like, stuck in it. And then it eventually moves on, but it all happens at once. I feel like that is a thing that happens. I know. But then, like, I always get into that place where when I'm in it, like, my my number one thing is just fucking bail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say just fucking do it. Like, maybe <laughs> that's why all the shit... I mean, listen. Sometimes that's why bad shit happens is to, like, move your ass. Like, you never know. Maybe it's time for you to move to Bali, but you better have a Wi-Fi connection so we can keep recording. Oh, no, I will. It'll just be really crappy. Or I'll just move to Bali so we can record face-to-face. Like, that would not be a hardship for me. Well, you're already used to the heat, so. Yeah, it's probably the same climate. Oh, it is. It is hell. (laughs) Like, would you consider Louisiana hell? Because that's what Bali is. I mean, the way I describe it when it's like 90 degrees and 100% humidity is it's like when you open your door to go outside, it's like you're walking into someone's mouth. (laughs) That's what it feels like here in the summer. So if that sounds like Bali, then yes. Um, Well, Bali is like, like a mouth, but like just fresh out of the dentist's office. What does that mean? I don't even like know clean, happy, oh, okay. and positive, white, oh, okay. refreshing, healing, and a little minty spice to it. You know, <laughs> still a mouth, but like a good mouth. Yeah, it's like a really good <laughs> mouth. You got a nice mouth. Okay. <laughs> well, I think my woman is going to make everyone feel better about mm. everything. Okay, good. Um, but before I get into her, I promised a person a shout out the day I flew back from Seattle from PodCon. I had a layover in Dallas and I was at a bar and the bartender who's like this really sweet guy just had a baby like not that long ago with his fiance. And he was like, give me a shout out. Like, we'll totally, my fiance and I will totally listen to it. We love my favorite murder. Like, this will be so fun. Wait, is this like a complete stranger? Yeah. Like, this oh, okay. is a bartender at an airport bar. <laughs> okay, got it. And he's like, no, we're totally going to listen. And I was, he gave me a, a piece of receipt paper and wrote his name on it and was like, give me a shout out on your next episode. And I was like, great, it'll be out in two weeks. So I don't know if oh, he's still God. hanging on, but if he is, his name is Michael, I think it's Dickerson. Dickinson? I'm not sure. And then I wrote a note. So, hi. Hi, Michael and fiancé and baby. And then I wrote a note that says, sexy, chubby bartender in Dallas. And I was like, did I write that down? And then I remember (laughs) he told me to say that. (laughs) So, if you're listening, fiancé, don't be mad at me. He told me, your boo thing told me to say that. So, to the sexy, chubby bartender in Dallas, Michael, I hope you're listening. This is kind of a weird episode and that we're kind of sad, but it gets better. It's going to yeah, be fine. It will get better once we get to the wine review, because I have a good wine to review. Okay, go. Okay, so I, like I mentioned earlier, my work's been doing this like all-week event, and we've recently partnered with a wine company that we're going to start using their wine in our establishments. 
And they're um, going to start giving us free wine for the podcast? Well, right? I got three free bottles. STFU. And I'm drinking one of them now. And this... So, first of all, I've never heard of this wine company in my life until they asked to do a partnership with the company I work for. The This wine company makes wine that is catered to women, which, like, duh, all women drink wine. But their branding and their product design is catered towards women in that it resembles perfume bottles holy crap that's insane i wish you guys could see this they get better because the rosé bottle is a flower top (gasps) so like you know like those old school like 20s 30s perfume bottles how they're like glass and they're kind of like a weird hennessy shaped bottle and they have those little circular like tops that you like dabble under your wrists yeah literally this entire wine bottle is that when you first brought it up to the camera i thought it was a bottle of patron like right? it kind of looks like that yeah it has like or like a hennessy or like some type of like weird liquor but so also it's which I'm not like you're like the French guru over here. You know I can't pronounce any French shit. But the I don't even know if I should be saying this on the podcast because I don't want it to relate back to my company. Um, but I don't know how it would. But anyway, so the wine company is pronounced Je ne sais quoi, which I don't know what that means. But it's really just J N S Q. Mm. So, so I, if I recall from 14 years ago when I took French, je ne sais quoi is like, I I think it, it literally translates to I don't know what, but I think it means something else. Like the literal translation is I don't know what, but I okay. think it's, I think it's like an idiom and I don't know what it is because I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> well, remember. I'm really excited because I've, I got to actually taste both the Sauvignon Blanc and the Rosé yesterday at this event. And then, um, I got to come up on three bottles. Yeah. So I'm really excited. I'll be, re- I'll be reviewing the Rosé next week. I'm not really a huge Rosé fan, but now I have a bottle and it has a cute little flower lid. So I'll be reviewing it. But anyway, for the listeners, Genese Qua, I don't really know much about them, even though I should since we're partnering with them at work. But um, they're a California-born Sauvignon Blanc with a French accent. And it says, inside every collectible bottle, you'll find an attitude, style, and a certain je ne sais quoi that's hard to define and impossible to resist, kind of like you. Oh, yeah. That's what je ne sais quoi. It means like that little special something that like you can't put your finger on. Like if someone, if like a woman has a particular like aura to her, but you can't really describe what it is, that's like, oh, she has the je ne sais quoi. That's what it is. Well, that's what I'm drinking. Good. So, uh, you like? it's, yeah, it's really good. Awesome. Are you are you drinking? I okay, I'm not drinking wine. I'm not drinking tonight because last night I did mushrooms and I'm still really trying to like hold on to that essence a little bit. So, how was that? Well, so I haven't done them in a really long time and I did a really small dose. It was great. I was at the parade, there were bubbles everywhere. Did you take like a cap? <laughs> I took um a chocolate so, uh, like a month ago, <laughs> it's the most witch story ever. I went to go buy weed. I don't get no. The DEA is not listening to this. I went to go buy <laughs> weed, and from a new from a new person, and she 
was going through something and I happened to have a particular magic candle in my bag. And so I gave her a ritual that she could use to banish what was happening. And so in exchange, she offered me this mushroom chocolate. But there's only so much mushroom you can fit in a little chocolate, right? So I was like, it'll be cool. Like, I'm not trying to have a full-on trip. I just want to kind of feel a little bit good. And it was really nice. So I'm not drinking tonight because I kind of felt like it just didn't go with the chemistry that's happening right now. So did you sleep? Oh, yeah, I slept, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I smoked some weed afterward. (laughs) And I went to sleep. But um, but I'm drinking coffee per use, and I also took some kava oil, which I don't think I've mentioned on here before. I just started using it after PodCon, but it's like a, it's a legal substance that you can get at like a head shop, and it's basically like nature's Xanax. So it gives you it's like a very you should check it out actually, Virgo. It's like a very mild anti anxiety substance um and it just makes you kind of feel good but you don't feel like fuzzy or like messed up or anything like that and And it's it's, an oil that you put in your mouth you can get it in a couple ways i have an oil you can also get it in like powder form and mix it into a tea um (laughs) sorry (laughs) what did the fat nintendo kid do (laughs) something like flashed next door and it like caught my eye Listen, I'm very on edge, okay? I don't blame you. (laughs) I don't blame you. Um, Speaking of the edge, so you should check it out. It's been used in, it's, it's, I think, native to Hawaii. So the Hawaiians have used it for years and years for a bunch of different things. That's probably why they live such a holistic and happy life. Exactly. So kava oil, guys. That's my wine review. (laughs) No bad days. Right. Something about living on the beach forgot to tell you i got a wine glass to go with the bottle it's so cute it has a little rose on it isn't it cute super cute um yeah so that's my that's my substance review cava oil (laughs) coffee and mushrooms (laughs) and weed four different things at once guys it's great i'm not on weed now guys i'm here for you okay we start we should start okay I'm going to go first, even though I went first last time, because my woman is a really good follow-up to the depressing intro of the 2019 episode. Um, and I, I've i decided I need to stop saying I'm so excited about my woman, because I say that every week, and instead I should just start saying, this is why I'm so excited about my woman. I am excited about her because I can almost guarantee that nobody who is listening to this will know who she is. Like, you don't really have a reason to know unless you're in her field. And she also has some personal overlap with me, which was super powerful. And she, her story is like full on Phoenix rising from the ashes. So... I struggled with how I wanted to tell her story, but I decided that I wasn't going to, I'm not going to tell you like what she's known for yet. I want to tell her story in order. So we're just going to like start talking about her life and then we'll get to why she's so badass. Heads up. I said Phoenix rising from the ashes. The first part of the story is going to be dark and sad, but stay tuned because it has a very happy and very triumphant ending. So okay. we're going to we're going to end up in heaven, but we're going to have to go through hell first, which is perfect for 2019. Oh yeah. Cool. So, <sighs> whew, this is a really important one for me. The woman that I will be covering today as you like bust out your scroll. <laughs> 
I'm old school as fuck. <laughs> I have, I literally have a journalist notebook. <laughs> but I am going to use the computer for, for quotes if I don't accidentally shut it down. How do I get my password? Um, okay. I, today, will be covering Marsha Linehan. Marsha Linehan was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1943. She was the third of six children to an oil man and his wife. And I was like, what the fuck is an oil man? Basically, he's a guy who owns an oil company. So she grew up with a lot of money and a lot of privilege in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma. But she grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's kind of like you win some, you lose some. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She was a very bright talented young girl from jump an amazing student natural piano player but she has since said that she felt very inadequate when compared to her other very attractive and very accomplished siblings and during her childhood she was also a deeply troubled child seemed to have a lot of mental health problems had problems with self-harming and this was back in the 50s and 60s, which was, like, not a fun time to have a mental health problem. Mental health wasn't even a term that was around or widely used back then. Just not a really cool time to have problems. Uh, people didn't know what to do. So her family kind of just shrugged it off. They were like, whatever, you're young, you're troubled, you'll outgrow it. Until she became bedridden with headaches due to depression in her senior year of high school. So thankfully, because her family presumably had some resources, I assume, like I didn't read anywhere that her family was rich, but if her dad owned an oil company, I think we can assume he's pretty loaded. So eventually, a psychiatrist recommended that she go to the Institute of Living in Connecticut, which was this, and still is, this very well-known, I think kind of hard-to-access mental health facility in Connecticut so I think it's kind of a place where like richer people go but she gets sent to the institute where doctors diagnosed her with schizophrenia at the age of 17 they dosed her up with Thorazine and other antipsychotic drugs which is like pretty much the heaviest drugs you can get for any kind of mental health issue they basically turn you into a potato and they subjected her to multiple rounds of electroshock therapy And nothing seemed to work, so she was then moved to the seclusion room, where she lived in a room by herself for two years. She lived in a mental hospital for two years in the 1960s. So, like, just imagine. And she was 17. So just imagine that shit. Probably not a good time. During her stay, she regularly attacked herself She would burn herself with cigarettes. She would slash her arms, legs, and torso with whatever sharp objects she could find. Once she was moved to seclusion, where she had no access to cigarettes and had no access to sharp objects, she then changed to banging her head very hard against the walls and floor. And in her discharge summary from 1963, it says, quote, that she was one of the most disturbed patients to ever be in the hospital. Wow. So I'm going to, sorry, we're going to have to cut this. I didn't, I need to read a quote now. See, this is why I do everything on a notepad. It's really hard. Okay. Of that time in her life, Marcia says, quote, my whole experience of these episodes was that someone else was doing it. 
It was like, I know this is coming. I'm out of control. Somebody help me. Where are you, God? I felt totally empty like the Tin Man. I had no way to communicate what was going on, no way to understand it. She also said, quote, I was in hell and I made a vow. When I get out, I'm going to come back and get others out of here. So remember that quote. she's discharged from the mental health hospital at 20 years old and doctors basically gave her almost no chance of living they're like this girl can't stop trying to kill herself like she's definitely gonna kill herself like good luck and in fact when she returns home to tulsa she has at least one suicide attempt then she ends up moving to chicago trying to like start over have a clean slate attempt suicide again and is hospitalized again And then she eventually got discharged and started living out of a YMCA. She got a day job. She started taking night classes at Loyola University in Chicago. And she doubled down on her Catholic faith. So she was raised Roman Catholic. And she started going to a church in Chicago called the Senecal Retreat Center. I think I'm saying that right. Senecal chemical i don't know and she had a experience according to marcia quote one night i was kneeling in there looking up at the cross and the whole place became gold and suddenly i felt something coming toward me it was this shimmering experience and i just ran back to my room and i said i love myself it was the first time i remember talking to myself in the per- in the first person i felt transformed So she has this kind of like come to Jesus literally moment. And even though about a year later, she ends up back in a really bad emotional place after a breakup, she finds that instead of wanting, even though she's going through a really hard emotional time, she doesn't feel any urges to harm herself or kill herself. And she attributes it to this moment in this chapel where she basically completely accepted herself the way she was and the way that she kind of describes it is that up to that moment she had been living this life of i know i'm i know i'm fucked up i have this is not a direct quote i know i'm fucked up like i obviously have these mental health issues i can't stop myself but i'm supposed to be this i'm supposed to be successful i'm supposed to be normal i'm supposed to be healthy i'm not supposed to act this way but instead of telling herself i'm not supposed to i'm not supposed to i'm not supposed to she had this moment where she finally was just like this is what i am and this is who i am and that's just what it is And having that moment of what she now calls radical acceptance totally changed her life, so much so that she goes on to earn a PhD in psychology from Loyola University in 1971, and she begins to use this idea of radical acceptance to work with deeply suicidal patients just like her, And she ends up working with patients that she now knows are called borderline personality disorder. So back when she was growing up, having her mental health issues, I don't even think borderline was a was a thing yet. It hadn't been almost still not a thing. Word. Yeah. Like, no, literally, like I have like a story that I can talk about after you're done. But like I had recently in the past couple of years looked up borderline personality disorder and it's still a controversial title that they have put onto a specific like diagnosis of a personality mm-hmm. but it's like still not fully full range accepted mm-hmm. it's like and the only thing they could 
potentially all agree upon labeling this specific personality type. And so for for anyone who's not familiar with borderline, there are a few different things that are characterized as symptoms, but they all seem to have a few things in common, like intense emotional states. So if you think of, like, not that anyone has a normal brain, but someone who's maybe, like, well-emotionally regulated, if you turned up their feelings to, like, a thousand percent, that's the way that a borderline personality person feels emotions. It's just so intense. And they, because of that, often have very high rates of suicide. Because when they feel bad feelings, it's not like, oh, I'm having a bad day. It's like, my entire life is ending, and I'm trapped, and I need to kill myself. It's like, that's just what makes sense in the state that they're in. Usually those responses are to things that aren't really realistic for that type of response. Right. For for realistic for other people. But for Mm -hmm. them, it's very real. For them, it like makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um, And because of this, they have historically been treated as untreatable. Most of the time when, when a psychiatrist or a psychologist encounters a borderline personality person, they're basically like, okay, like, whatever, you're crazy, I can't help you, I'm going to throw you in the mental hospital, or you're just going to kill yourself. Like, you're hopeless. I mean, they really, really, like, this is how they were treated. And some people still do treat them that way, unfortunately. There is this, there's a whole class of personality disorders But generally speaking, people tend to think of them as completely untreatable. And so she goes on to work with these people. And she says in retrospect that even though she was diagnosed with schizophrenia in the 60s, she thinks now that she's a psychologist, what she actually had was borderline. But they didn't have a word for it then. And so they treated her for something completely different that wasn't successful because that's not what she had. Mm -hmm. And she goes on to use this idea of radical acceptance as the foundation for a form of therapy that she created called DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And basically what it is, is a combination of CBT, which is like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what you or I get when we go to a therapist, and meditation and mindfulness. So she's basically taking Western medicine and uniting it with largely Eastern spiritual practices. And I loved, I watched several lectures of hers when I was preparing for this episode, and I love the way she talks about that particular body of, of um, that particular form of therapy because she just started doing it. People were like, you don't have any evidence this is going to work. Like, you can't just start treating people. And she was like, I knew it was going to work because I did it to myself, basically, in so many mm-hmm. words. And she was like, so I just started doing it. And we built the body of evidence as I went. So she basically was like, fuck you guys. I'm abandoning this idea that these people are lost causes and we're going to work with them. So the first, like, thing that she does... What the radical acceptance with this particular population is like, she says to them in so many words, and this is how DBT is taught, like, given what you're feeling, I understand that suicide makes sense to you. So you're basically meeting the patient where they are instead of being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Pardon me. You shouldn't want to kill yourself. She starts with like, yeah, okay. Like she did at that moment in the Catholic church in Chicago, like, okay, Like, that's where you are. That's how you're feeling. You're someone who has intense emotions. Cool. Like, we're going to start there. 
And then she makes them make a verbal commitment to her that while they're working together, they won't kill themselves, which is like, it doesn't always happen, but you know, like she tries to get them to commit, but she can't get that level of commitment from them until she basically says to them like, Hey, I see you. And like, you're okay how you are right now. And we're going to start working on different behavioral methods for you to have a better life. So that's why she calls it, and it's getting a little intellectual, I know, but that's why she calls it dialectical, is the idea is like you're taking these two kind of contradicting ideas and layering them on top of each other, which is basically acceptance and change all at the same time. But like understanding that until you accept where you're at and how you're feeling and where you are and who you are now, you're never going to be able to move forward and make positive changes. So that was like really revolutionary for this for this um, patient population. And basically, DBT includes four pillars. For anyone who's interested, you can read up more on it. But it the four pillars are mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness emotion regulation and distress tolerance so how to handle stressful uh, situations without wanting to kill yourself or like super overreacting to this day so she started doing this in the 80s to this day dbt is the only treatment that has been scientifically proven and validated multiple times to help manage or even cure borderline personality disorder wow So not only did Marsha Linehan go through her own personal hell, living years and years, wanting to kill herself, hating herself, two years in a mental health hospital, just like getting shat on and suffering, not only was she able to move through that, she then took that experience and helped other people like her, as in she went into hell so she could get other people out of hell, just like she promised herself, and then she proved all of the psychiatric and psycho and psychology community wrong by being like no fuck you we can help these people and i know we can do it because i did it so here we fucking go um god like i have so much to say about her so i found her by just like researching i have a lot of mental health problems is where i'm about to go so strap in guys like i have dealt with depression anxiety my whole life I had a really crazy upbringing. I've got a lot of like complex PTSD. I've been in therapy for a long time. So I'm like often reading up on different healing modalities and, you know, like trying to get my fucking mood and brain right. And when I read her story, like I cried. It meant so much to me to read a story, not only of someone who went through that and survived it, but came out the other side and made it her life's mission to stop the suffering of other people who were going through what she had been through. And it just, like, it gave me so much hope that I could, like, that, you know, this idea that, like, you go through terrible things and they suck so hard, but there can be a way that you can transform that into amazing experiences, that you can take that shit and channel it into something that can help other people, that can literally save other people's lives. Um, And I actually... Like, you don't know this about me. I've been hospitalized for suicidal ideation three times in my life. Once when I was in middle school, once after my dad died, and once after we graduated college. So this is something that is, like, super near to my heart. And it's just, there's something so special about someone. There's It's just different to be coached by someone who's been through what you've been through. And it makes perfect sense to me 
that she would be the person to prove this community wrong and to be like, no, we can save these people because no one who hadn't been through that experience would have been able to do that because it just doesn't make sense to them. Like their brain doesn't process things the way that, that those people do. And, and I, and I also wanted to say to like get personal or more personal, like if you aren't someone who deals with like mood disorders or you've never dealt with the idea of like wanting to kill yourself I think to this day in our culture, there's this idea that like you're making a choice to feel that way or like you're just not trying hard enough or like you're you're not writing enough affirmations down in your journal in the morning or you're not meditating long enough. And it's like, yes, there are things like that that you can be doing to improving your mental health. But people who have mental health issues aren't choosing them. <laughs> like when you like no one wants to live a life where it makes sense that when they're in pain they want to kill themselves. But I do feel like culturally we still haven't gotten there. Like we still don't get it. I think it's just human nature for you to think that people think the way you think. Which like how cuz how could you not? You can't put yourself in someone else's brain. That's why we get in fights. That's why relationships fail. That's why we have communication breakdowns. We think other people think the way we think. And that's just not how it works. And so for me, this was a really personal story because it was like, like, she's like my new hero. Like she gave me so much hope that I could take whatever pain I felt in my life or whatever pain I'm moving through now as I'm going through this like weird depression and that you can take that and make something really beautiful out of it and not only help yourself, but help other people too. And I just think that story is so badass. She in 2011 quote unquote came out in a New York Times article. So people like people did not know that she had been through this. Like she didn't make that part of her research. She didn't make that part of her career. Like she kept that to herself because that's not the kind of stuff you share. Like people are really weirded out by that stuff. And so she decided like she has scars all over her arms from when she used to cut herself and burn herself. And apparently patients started asking her about that. Like did you also have problems with this like those scars look like my scars and so she decided to come out about it and in 2011 at the age of I think 68 she came out in the New York Times and talked about how she had been borderline personality and how she had been treated ineffectively for years and years and it like kind of like blew everybody's mind um and she now is an adjunct professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at University of Washington in Seattle, which nice. I was like, oh, damn, we should have stopped Wait, by and said hi. Was that the, the campus directly across from our Airbnb? I don't think so. I got confused by what campus that was, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Maybe it was. <laughs> she literally walked past her, and I didn't even know. <laughs> Um, so she's the adjunct professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences there, and she is their director of behavioral research and therapy clinics. She is still alive. She's, I think, 75 years old. She lives in Seattle with her grown adopted daughter and her son-in-law. Um, and again, she's just, I think she's just badass as hell in her lectures. You can tell like she's got fucking attitude. Like this, you know what I mean? Like she's someone who's been through hell. So she's just like completely unfuckwittable, you know, like, and she, um, like that idea of like, I'm just going to start building the evidence. I don't need to get this signed off because I know it's going to work. I love that. She also does something that's totally nuts. Um, she makes herself available to her patients like almost 24 seven. And that's something that she calls on people to do who work with highly suicidal patients. Mm -hmm. She's like, what? I love it. She was like, in one lecture, she said, 
I don't know of any more imbalanced relationship than that between a therapist and a patient. It's like the only time you're allowed to communicate with me is this one hour once a week. Yeah. And she said, you know, it's weird, right? It is weird. And she's like, for some people, that's fine. But for people who are wanting to kill themselves on a daily basis, that's not good enough. And we need to be available to these people because that's the level of care that they require. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be treating suicidal patients. Yeah. Um, She also, something else that she does that I think is really cool with DBT she there's there's two components so the patients go through this whole therapy regimen and then the practitioners go through it themselves separately with other psychologists because as you might imagine treating highly suicidal patients is insanely stressful and traumatizing so she makes them go through it while their patients are going through it Mm -hmm. and they have to work with a team of therapists who do dbt and they all make an agreement together i thought this was super powerful that if anyone loses a patient to suicide the whole group counts it as a loss so that one person doesn't have to shoulder all of the burden of that by themselves yeah which i think is so fucking cool so she's just like she's thought of everything she's been through so much she's so emotionally intelligent obviously a really bright woman um and she's just dope as hell and i have a couple couple thoughts yeah so you know who she reminds me of Hmm. which like totally different stories totally different life experiences but her the way that she has allowed her life experience to inspire her to help others that experience the same thing as her literally gave me like an instant connection and relation to temple grandin Mm. (laughs) we're like kind of right yeah totally we're like temple grandin grew up with autism in a time where autism was not really even totally accepted as a medical diagnosis i guess or Mm. I, I don't know I don't know the terminology behind it, but it, it was still like being researched, and like they never even actually uh, diagnosed her with autism until well into her forties. But she knew that she was living with a some type of disability to a sort that was different from the regular generation of people and society of people. Mm-hmm. And then she was like. But I know what I'm going through, and I know that I can fix these other things that go through it, too. That just happen to be animals. <laughs> but, yeah. like, but it's almost kind of a similar connection to where her and Marsha both kind of, like, had these lifelong struggles, and they were kind of like, how can I use that experience of my struggle to make it easier for something else? Right. Right. And that's so cool. Right. Right. And it's like, what I love is that, I mean, that's been her, that's her life purpose. This is what she's been doing her whole life, first as a patient and then as a provider and a healer. And it's like, you know, which makes me think of in a weird way, CJ Walker, this idea of like the thing that makes your life have meaning started in a really crappy situation with CJ Walker. She was losing her hair and she finds this hair care product that ends up making her millions of dollars. And I just love those stories of like, you not to be like if you're suffering right now it's gonna turn out great i don't mean to say that like things suck when you're going through them but you just never fucking know sometimes the thing that is chapping your ass the hardest and making you want to fucking give up all hope is the very thing that gives you and other people hope like you just don't know and i fucking love that 
so crazy so cool um Um, you know what else i was thinking like hmm. i like is she like famous or is she just like a well-known like doctorate like she's famous in her field which is why i was like most people won't know her and like she was in that new york times article Mm -hmm. but you know like an average person on the street would have no reason to know who she is okay yeah i'm like bummed that she's like in her 70s and probably elderly and like not podcasting like it would be so cool to like talk to her yeah you know yeah and like i i don't know like i feel like it would be she would be such a awesome like if we like you know we've been talking about potentially starting to interview people on our our channel and i feel like she would be such a cool person to bring on but also somebody that i think would be uh incredible person to put on to the diarist podcast okay i haven't listened to enough of it don't know anything i know i finished the whole thing i've listened to it i really like it guys shout out to the diarist podcast it's a it's a fiction podcast it's really good yeah it's 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 mainly around mental health issues um within women during the like 40s and 50s era she would be yeah Uh, she'd be great for that she would be great for that yeah. Um, which, by the way, people, the diarist wants us on their podcast, so that's to come. I'm like, they I really got do. plenty. I had got plenty of mental health issues to talk they about. Really which, do, they emailed us and they were like trying to set up a, a recording at the exact day that my apartment was destroyed. I know. Um, um before well, wait. Oh okay. no, sorry. No, keep going. You should, if you ever have the chance, just, like, put her into YouTube. You don't have to watch her lectures. It might not be interesting, but you can just get a, you can just get a sense of her of her spirit and her fire and just her no-nonsense yeah. attitude, and you'd really appreciate it. And the way, I mean, she's just absolute no bullshit, knows, knows how smart she is, knows that what she's doing is right and just and works, and she just goes yeah. for it. And the other thing I wanted to say to wrap her up honestly so dbt as a full-on treatment plan is very like specific to borderline personality like there's a whole thing where you go to like groups and whatever but honestly dbt like those four pillars is something that like everyone could benefit from like mindfulness interpersonal effectiveness like all of that stuff is stuff that most of us struggle with so i literally bought a dbt workbook I don't have borderline. Although after I found out about borderline, I like talked to my therapist. I was like, do I have borderline? She's like, no, you're an idiot. No, I don't think <laughs> like, you, do. you don't have borderline. <laughs> but I was like, but I'm so emotional. She's like, yeah, because you no. have mood problems. <laughs> you idiot. Um, crazy stuff, guys. So yeah, check her out. Marsha Linehan. She's the bomb. And again, if you're someone, you know, obviously if you are someone going through mental health problems, like reach out to a therapist we don't have phds we can't counsel you um but if you feel like you're you could also just stand to do a little bit of extra self-work check out dbt as just like a as a way to just get yourself in a better headspace and have better relationships with people like anyone could benefit from doing some of that stuff so yeah and i mean like i said like clearly i've been through the fucking ringer with my mental health stuff um you know, and it's like ongoing. Like I feel like that's and that's the thing with mental health or in physical health. It's not like, oh, I, I fixed it. It's done. Now oh, I can no. just like, oh, I'm I'm fit now. I can just eat Doritos for the rest of my life. Like no. that's not. It's it's constant upkeep. That is definitely worth it. So, 
Um, it really is. Do the work. And Jesus Christ, if you can access therapy and you're not in therapy, I'm going to need you to get in therapy immediately, please. In this day and age, everyone needs it. Yeah. <laughs> like, every single one of us. I so. haven't gone to therapy in a couple of months. Mm. Partly because my fucking therapist, like, totally, like, fucked up and told me she booked my appointment and then she didn't. And then now it's like, oh, I can't get in till this date. So it, like, turned into a whole thing. But, um, no, I, I, like, I've been, like, irking. And of yeah. course, like, all this, like, turmoil comes down at the time where I don't have appointment set. And I'm like, I need to get the fuck in there ASAP because, like, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could also get a new therapist if you need to. That's, like, a pain in the ass, I know. And you I like know. Yours. I love my therapist. I know. She's, like, my best friend. That was the other thing before we wrap up on therapy. Like, a lot of times people have bad experiences with therapy. Because, like, it's so, there's so many therapists. They can be good or they can be bad. And I think sometimes people will go to one and they're not they don't vibe or whatever and they're like therapy sucks so i know it's kind of a pain especially if you're going through hard times but just because you don't jive with one doesn't mean you won't jive with another i've had therapists that i didn't really like and now i have probably like the best therapist on planet earth or like for me anyway so they're out there yeah just be vigilant um i'm supposed to guess her zodiac sign and i couldn't even fucking tell you dude like so this one was cool for me because I knew about her before I knew her zodiac sign. Like, because I was reading up on her before I even decided to cover her. Mm-hmm. It would not have been my f- first, second, or third guess, but I can kind of maybe see it. So I don't know. Okay. Let me I'm know if gonna, you want any. I'm, I'm going to shoot out some guesses. Okay. Okay. Um... I think I'm just going to throw them all out at once and then you okay. can be like, yep, that's one of them or no, mm-hmm. it's none of them. Okay. So my guesses are Capricorn, Virgo, um, Cancer. Ooh, those are all good guesses. None of them are correct. You're oddly close, though. She's Scorpio. No, but that would have that was like Virgo and Scorpio were my first guesses, <laughs> and then Capricorn was my third. So okay, well I feel better though that I'm like I'm yeah. like mentally on the right track. Fuck, no, I don't guess. know. Yeah, maybe one more. Is she Libra. Mm-mm. Okay, that was kind of way off she's a Taurus. Taurus, okay. I know. So, like, that Earth energy. But, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, I could... The fact that she's an Earth sign at all makes sense to me. But I would not have guessed Taurus. Yeah, that's not my first guess. Because she's mean, not I thought... as lazy as most Tauruses are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the... I guess, like... If we had to come up with a characteristic of hers that would align with Taurus, based off the information you've provided, like I think you had made a, a comment, or there was some, there was a, a line that you had said where she, she was, she was like, um, like I know this isn't the way it's done, but I'm gonna do it because I know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, like that's such a Taurus mentality, totally. And if you see her live, her personality is very Taurus. You, she just has this, like, I know best, and that's what's up. 
So if you see her in action, I think it's a little bit more obvious. Cool. Yeah. Well, she's fucking great. Um, yeah. I'm really stoked that you did her because I really, I really like when we incorporate m- women that you know aren't super mainstream. Mm-hmm. I really like us mixing in those types of women into our podcast. Yeah. This was like, like I, Temple Grandin, mm-hmm. Nellie Sachs, like Viola Desmond. Like, I really like when we get to squeeze some of those women in there because they are, I think that like, I find myself even more inspired by those women. Yeah, no, totally. I, they feel more accessible in some way. I yeah. think because they're not famous. Yeah. You know, even like they feel more every day and mm-hmm. you're like, hey, maybe that could be me. Yeah. Maybe I can make a hug machine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, we can cut this, but our BFF podcast producer, Ben, told me that they had Temple Grandin on Star Talk. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. When he logged into our, into our, (laughs) we gave him the keys to our fucking podcast platform. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah. Like, we talked to Temple. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm so jealous. Fuck Ben. Yeah, Ben. (laughs) He's not listening. Fuck you, Ben. Actually, sorry. (laughs) you stop being younger than us and more successful than us it's not okay god damn it ben (laughs) just come work for us already like what's the fucking deal yeah like what do you want a salary come on (laughs) motherfucker oh my god all right cool are we ready well ready okay so, first of all, let me take a glass of wine. Get it. All right. Just like the last time I was morbidly depressed on the podcast, I covered somebody that was very near and dear to my heart, Janice Joplin. And so, being that I'm almost on the same level of depression as that episode... <laughs> I decided I needed to cover somebody else that wasn't exactly near and dear to my heart, but somebody that I've been wanting to cover for a while who has the most ridiculous life story and one that just gives me so much empowerment. I'm excited. So, another thing to note, I told a bunch of people over the past couple of days that I was going to be covering this woman, and almost every one of them didn't know who she was. (gasps) Which I found very surprising. Okay. I know you know who she is. But it almost made me wonder, do people really not know who this woman is? And how do they not know who this woman is? Interesting. So, if that's the case, I'm really excited to introduce her to our listeners, but... If you are a listener and into feminist icons, like, you you absolutely know who this woman is. But I just found that very, very weird and strange. So, today, I'm going to be covering the fabulous, the powerful, the confident, the sexy, the mysterious... Don't rush now. Josephine Baker. (laughs) You bitch! You fucking slut! She's on the list! All right. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Listen, we're at episode 22. Like, don't be fucking telling me that I stole your lady. That's my girl! (laughs) 
almost covered her a couple episodes ago, too. Okay, go. I can't wait. You had 21 episodes to cover Josephine Baker. Lick my ass, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like I said, I was surprised to hear that a lot of people didn't know who she was. Or at least, like, they said they recognized the name but didn't really know the story. So, just a little brief one-liner. She was a dancer and a singer who became super popular in france during the 1920s but she also dedicated her life to fighting racism as well as smuggling messages for the french resistance during world war ii which i think is one of the coolest fucking things in the entire world it is like it's just fucking phenomenal also do you already know her zodiac sign Yes, because we share a birthday. Oh, my God. That's why I'm mad. <laughs> Sorry. you. I wasn't going to say anything, but you asked. I kind of so. had a feeling that you knew. Yeah, we have the same birthday, so. But we'll get there at the end. We'll get there to it. Let the, let the audience guess. I thought yours was a day later. I'm pretty, well, we'll see at the end. Okay. We'll All right. So, Josephine Baker was born in 1906 in St. Louis, Missouri, She spent the majority of her youth living in poverty in a racially mixed low-income neighborhood that consisted of brothels and apartment apartment complexes that had no indoor plumbing. She was always poorly dressed, super hungry, and she had almost zero formal education as she dropped out of school at the awesome grade of fifth grade. Word. So... Peace out, middle school. Um, By 12 years old, Josephine was working as a live-in domestic for white families in St. Louis, some of which were very abusive towards her. And by 13 years old, she was working as a waitress. Um, She had run away from home, and she was living as a street child in the slums of St. Louis, sleeping on cardboard boxes, scavenging for food in garbage cans, and making extra money with street corner dancing. Also, at the solid age of 13, Josephine met her very first husband at the restaurant that she worked at, 13 years old. Wait, do we know how old he was at the time? No. Okay. But you know his old was, his ass was old as fuck. Yeah, probably really gross old. Well, she was working at, like, a club. Ah, So he was some crusty old piece of shit. But you know what? club crab. I didn't look into it because she's had four husbands and a million female mistresses. So it's like, bye, bitch. (laughs) Bye. Like, no time for your fucking info. We're on Josephine time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But um, I will say his name was Willie Wells. And without surprise, their marriage was extremely unhappy, and it lasted less than a year, some sources quoting only a few weeks. Um, and she left him, and she found work as a, uh, with a street performance group that was called the Jones Family Band, and they began touring the United States. Two years later, at the whopping age of 15... Josephine met her second husband, who also happened to be named Willie. Uh, uh, <laughs> Willie Baker. 
And that marriage was also short-lived, but she continued to use his last name because it was the name that she had at the time that her career began to really lift off. And so she was already being known as Josephine Baker during the time of her success, and she didn't want to end that. So that marriage ended also, but she kept his name, and she began performing in her hometown at the Chorus Vanderville Show, which was a theatrical entertainment-based comedy show. And then in 1923, she landed a role in a musical and later moved to New York to perform in a jazz performance known as the Chocolate Dandies, where she became an immediate crowd favorite. Two years later in 1925, at the peak of France's obsession with American jazz, Josephine traveled to Paris to perform in, which I know I'm going to say all of these French terms wrong, just bear with me, La Revue Negre. And she made an immediate impression on the French audiences as she danced around in absolutely nothing but a feather skirt. And she became a huge success and she was wildly known for erotic dancing and basically appearing naked on stage. Um, Get it, girl? Yeah. One of her most popular performances and like the major turning point for her career was her performance called the La Floyd du Jour where she danced in her infamous banana string skirt. And she, it was like, one, such a popular show, that performance in itself, but two, it landed her being one of the most highest paid performers in Europe. Yes! Um, In later shows in Paris, she was often accompanied by her on-stage pet cheetah. What? Whom she called Chiquita. (laughs) And this cheetah on stage wore a big, giant, shiny, glamorous diamond collar. (laughs) And even better, the cheetah very frequently escaped into the orchestra pit where it terrorized the musicians, adding an extra element of excitement to the show. Literally, I'm just picturing, like, Game of Thrones lion release. (laughs) Gladiator is happening. Everybody is going crazy. And she's just dancing in her banana fucking string (laughs) with diamonds around her cheetah cheetah animal neck. She's like, I'm going to make this money. Y'all can fuck with my cheetah. (laughs) Right? So, without surprise, all of them fuckboys came out of the woodworks to try and get at Josephine. Mm-hmm. Can you guess who those fuckboys are? Willies? The Willies? <laughs> the Willies were the burnout husbands. Okay. The fuckboys consisted of Ernest Hemingway. Oh, the number one fuckboy. The number one fuckboy, probably outside of Diego Rivera. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just imagine uh, that, like, you have a dartboard with Diego Rivera's face Oh, yeah, on it. I do. Um, so, Ernest Hemingway was fuckboy number one, and he was quoted to say that Josephine was the most sensational woman he'd ever seen in his entire life. And fuckboy number two, Picasso. Wow, that's, like, that's a heavy... 
It's a heavy fuckboy to have around, you know? Right? Well, he spent his time drawing paintings that depicted her alluring beauty. So, I have no idea. I need to see them. Yeah, she was working that thing uh, for Ernest and Picasso. Damn, bananas can do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was also noted that she received more than 1,000 marriage proposals during her period of fame. And she earned so much money that she was able to purchase a massive, like, billion, I'm making this up, but, like, billion-dollar estate in the southwest of France, where she ended up moving and, like, moving herself and her family to from St. Louis. So, in 1936, Josephine went back to the United States because she wanted to do, like, she wanted to try to become famous in the U.S. at the, like, same level that she was famous in France. Like, she was big motherfucking shit in France. She wasn't Mm -hmm. even French. So, Mm -hmm. she's like, well, what the fuck? Like, why am I so famous out here? Like, why can't I have the same fame in the United States? So... She went back to the U.S. and did a couple performances out there where she was met with nothing but hostility and racism yep. that was so severe that she hightailed that shit back to France and said, Saya fucking Nara, motherfuckers. Yeah. And right when she returned, she then married her third husband, which was a French industrialist named Jean Lyon. And at that point, she obtained French citizenship. So this is when shit gets real fun. Um, In September 1939, when France declared war on Germany in response to the invasion in Poland, Josephine was recruited by the French military intelligence to be an honorable correspondent. She was tasked with attending parties and charming high-profile people to collect information about German troop locations without raising any type of suspicion due to her popularity and her fame of being an entertainer. Literally, that is my dream job. It's to right? just like, go to a party and get information out of people and get paid for it. <laughs> that is my dream job! And she didn't have to apply to this job. They, like, went to her. They were like, yo, you're it. Like, also, like, what was that interview process like? Like, like, let's be real. They were like, listen, lady, you got bananas and cheetahs? Like, that's all we need to win the war. (laughs) So she obviously agreed and because she was a famous entertainer and everybody in like france and europe knew who she was she was able to move all around europe during the time of the war without causing suspicion like she could go from country to country all over city to city and no one questioned it because she was an entertainer and that's what she was doing in her career and everyone she had she caused there was no reason to be suspicious of what josephine baker was doing they were like, this is just some hot lady out there dancing on stage and people love her. Right. Little did they know, she was, like, giving fucking, like, booty twerks to, like, Japanese men and, like, listening to all their drunken cigar-infused banter about how they were going to, like, kill countries. And she was, like, taking that shit back home. God, that's so awesome. <laughs> Don't you, like, isn't that, like, your dream? Yes. It's literally my dream. <laughs> <laughs> I like want to be a spy, but not the kind that like has to be in shape, you know? Like- right? <laughs> um, so she was carrying information to England about airfields, harbors, and tro- uh, German troops in the west of France. And the coolest part 
the majority of the information that she was taking from country to country was written on invisible ink on her music sheets that she tucked into her underwear. That sounds like a movie. That doesn't even sound real. It's real. (laughs) It's real. Wow. (laughs) She was a fucking full-blown spy. Yeah, she was. No one had any idea. So she fucking killed the game out there for World War II. And... (laughs) Between her and Julia, like, her and Julia Child saved the world. (laughs) So after the war, she obviously received, like, a bajillion French awards. And um, she spent most of her time living in her, like, massive billion-dollar estate with her family. And in 1947, she married her fourth and final husband. And he was a French composer and conductor named Joe Bouillon. And in 1950, she began adopting the fuck out of foreign babies. <gasps> she started it. She started the Angelina Jolie. <gasps> I had I did not know that. Okay, well, I'm really interested to hear what you think about this because if there's anything problematic about Josephine Baker, it mm. might be this. And like we've run into some of the women that we've covered before where we've kind of been like Hmm. Maybe not all their life choices were the best choices. Mm. And this is what I'm about to tell you is something that, like, number one, would never fucking fly today. Mm-hmm. Number two, like, she basically invented reality television. Um, and number three, like, moms would hate Joseph. Like, women, moms, like, People that care about kids would hate Josephine Baker for what she did. But I'm going to tell you what she did. So she adopted all these motherfucking babies. Like, here I am. It's the 1950s. I danced my way to fame. I fucking went and spied out in World War II and conquered that shit. Now I'm home chilling. Like, I'm going to fucking adopt a billion babies and start fighting this war against racism. So that was her plan. So she adopted a total of 12 children. Oh, my God. That she referred to as, quote, the Rainbow Tribe. She wanted to prove to the world through her platform that children of different ethnicities and religions could still be brothers, still be friends, still be lovers, still be a one entity. Her children included two daughters, one French and the other Moroccan, and she had ten sons that were Korean, Japanese, Colombian, Finnish, French, Israeli, Algerian, Venezuelan, and Ivorian. First of all, what is that? That's fake. I've never heard of what? Ivor? Where is that? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't well, know. Well, maybe it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it gets weird and it gets problematic, beca- not because she adopted all these kids and not because they were from a billion different countries. The weird part is that she was living in this big, massive estate in France with all her 12 adopted children. But she arranged tours 
so that visitors could walk the grounds of her massive estate and watch how happy and natural the children of the Rainbow Tribe were while living among each other. She charged admission for visitors to enter and partake in the activities on her estate, which included watching the children play, sing, and dance. So she basically opened like a child zoo. (laughs) Yes! Wow. Like, literally, it's been like... like from what I in my research, what what's been said about this is that she used her children as a metaphor, that they were a living example of what humanity should look like, and her diverse children were used in a sort of attack against racism. Mm-hmm. For example, she took children from Algeria and she raised one Muslim and one Catholic. Hmm. Okay. So <laughs> As I'm sure you could imagine, as the children got older and were raised in this environment, they weren't probably all that stoked off Josephine or their living situation. But one of their children does have a quote that I was able to find. It was her child named Akio, and he's the one that's from Japan. And he was quoted to say, She was a great artist, and she was our mother. Mothers make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Which, like, reading that quote literally made me think of nobody other than Yoko Ono. Mm. Where, when he described his mother as an artist, like, he almost is saying that, like, this entire thing was, like, her art to the world. Right. It was. Sadly, she used us as a platform to be, like, an artistic image of what she thinks the world should be operating on mm-hmm. and like her kids totally knew that it's like it's so weird because it's almost like she was trying to humanize them but she did it in such a dehumanizing way like yeah. it's almost like a contradiction it's so yeah. strange super strange so that happened um that's pretty much all i was able to gather on that topic wow i didn't know any of that <laughs> yeah So, during the 1950s, which was, like, a little bit after this was happening, she also participated alongside of Martin Luther King Jr. in the March on Washington and was among the many notable speakers of that, like, march that happened. And in honor of her efforts, the NAACP named May 20th Josephine Baker Day. She continued to perform well into her 60s, even though she was exhausted and she was having trouble remembering lyrics and she would get really rambly between her speeches. She just started eating the bananas. Yes, basically. (laughs) But regardless, she continued to captivate audiences of all ages. Um, She ended up dying at the age of 68 on April 12th, 1965, and she's the only American-born woman to receive full French military honors at her funeral. Wow. Interesting. And the only other side note that I wanted to make about Josephine 
which I kind of already mentioned in the beginning, was that she was a openly bisexual woman. She had a total of four marriages to men, but she had several relationships with women, um, especially during her time in the Harlem Renaissance arts community. One of her relationships was with the blues singer Clara Smith, um, on top of her many marriages and other many affairs with men and women and the two combined. Um, the only other thing to mention in terms of her, like, quest to fight against racism, like, after she had all that fame in France, and then she went back to the U.S., and they were big, massive haters, and then she went back to France again and, like, kept killing the game, and then the war happened, she was a spy, and then she had all these kids, then she went back to the United States again when she was, like, fighting with Martin Luther King and stuff like that, and, like, she was doing performances in the United States, but she made, like, an adamant point that she refused to have any type of performances in any establishments that promoted segregation. Yeah. So, like, if she, if a club was, like, wanting her or, like, she was reaching out to a club, like, that was the number one standard. Like, I will perform here under these, like, under the fact that, like, no one will be segregated. It will be a mixed, a mixed room of every race that wants to sit here and nobody's entitled to any seat. And so that was, like, a really huge stance that she took in the United States when she was able to come back and start performing again. Dope. So she has a really interesting life because God. I feel like she's she's lived so many stories. She's fought for so many causes she she's complicated like i wouldn't say that she's done everything perfectly to a t and like that like the irony behind her biggest potential flaw being the circus of her children like she was still trying to do something good mm-hmm. at the same time of doing something wrong right like her her biggest fuck up was trying to fight for a cause at such an extreme extent that she was actually fucking something else up in a different category, you know? <laughs> it's right, like, yeah. and she couldn't even, like, I feel like she didn't even, like, make that connection. Yeah. Like, she was so adamant on fighting against, like, interracial racism. Like, she wanted the entire world to, like, stop being racist against each other. And so she thought she was doing the right thing by being like, let me adopt all these children and we're going to have this big happy family and they're all going to get along and we're all going to love each other and it's going to be great and we're going to be all these different races and these religions and political views and, like, you're going to come look and see, like, this is how it is. It can be this way for everybody. And then it's like, wait, like, you're not supposed to do this to kids. (laughs) And she's like, wait, what do you mean? Like, I'm not doing anything to kids. I'm, like, creating this platform for the entire world to see that this one example can influence an entire future. And, like, I feel like she had such great intentions, yet, her like, one of her only flaws, like, still was kind of, like, beyond her because she was so focused on the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have know. more to say about that, but I feel what do you like think? I'll save it for the Zodiac piece. All right. Well, well the story's done. Okay. <laughs> well, I so I know her sign because... Her birthday is June 3rd, right? Yes. So that's my birthday. I thought yours was the 4th. You're a terrible friend. But (laughs) just kidding. Uh, I don't know any of my friends' birthdays. They're all on my calendar. Um, But even knowing that she's a Gemini, 
she's such a fucking Gemini. Oh, yeah. That whole story is like from the first of all, her being a spy, just going around (laughs) a party and getting information out of people. I'm like, Gemini, Gemini, Gemini. The fact that she had a thousand different lovers and she could never really pin one down, like she could never stay with one. So Gemini. Um, That she lived such a varied life. Like kind of like, yeah, she was a dancer, but she did so many different things. Gemini. And then that whole situation with the rainbow children. It's like (laughs) that is so Gemini, but also just air sign more generally where you're like something that should be emotional you're turning it completely intellectual and instead of just like loving these 12 children you made it some like big statement performance art piece and that is such an air sign thing to do right (laughs) yeah that's what it's yoko that's aquarius like yeah exactly like i mean like literally if you didn't know that she was a gemini you might have said aquarius well, the, I, I was going to say the other thing, and this is why I love her even more. She gives me strong Gemini and Leo vibes. And I'm yeah. that's my, I'm Gemini Leo dominant. <laughs> it's like, yes. Uh, do you think it's weird that some people don't know who she is? Well, I mean, not really, because, I mean, I know who she is. One, because, like, we have all these books about women, and I know she's in the Anne Shen book. But the the main reason I know who she is is because we share a birthday. Yeah. You know, and that I, at some point in life, I read that in a book somewhere. But I think she's just on that line of if you're not someone who, like, actively consumes media around women, like, you might not know who she is. Because she, you know? I, I know. think, like, I like I wouldn't say I've grown up knowing who Josephine Baker is. And maybe I know her because of, like san francisco state or like somehow through the path of me studying sociology and like women and just Mm -hmm. like i also did i also when i was at san francisco city college i studied um like gay and lesbian art literature Mm. and i think she came up as did gertrude stein which they were like the same generation but what pisses me the fuck off isn't like if i were to go into my office full of women which, like, I'm not talking shit on any of them. This is just a societal problem. But if I were to go into my office full of women in 2019 and say, who knows Ernest Hemingway? Me. Ugh. Who knows Picasso? Me. Who knows right. Josephine Baker? Right. Crickets. Right. And, and the what- fact that both of those motherfucking men praise the ground she walked on yeah. and no one knows who the fuck she is, like, yeah. that pisses me off. <laughs> well, it also pisses me off that also, I bet you, even if they were like, yes, I know Ernest Hemingway, none of them have read any of his shit. Because, like, why would you? So, But you just know him because he's famous. Because he's a yeah. guy, basically. But, like, he's a white did guy. he fucking fuck come from... Well, actually, I don't really know all of Ernest Hemingway's life from day one to day dead i know he was a big fuck boy and i know he was an alcoholic and i know he just fucked all the women in all the world but did he was he out there in world war ii spying around in his panties with invisible ink on a music sheet no he was drunk as shit and people were dragging him out of bars by his ankles <laughs> he like impregnated a billion women never fucking stuck around like God, what a trash monster it just Jesus like pisses Christ. me off that like you know, we don't. We know Ernest and Picasso. No one knows Josephine. They were the same time period. Yeah, they were the same group of artists during that like huge burst of like poetry and music and painting and like literature. Like they were that. You know. Yeah. She was that. 
And I bet you like, she's more you well guys. known. I bet you she's more well known in France, too. And maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that is why. But no, I hear yeah, she deserves way more recognition. And like honestly, she might be the most interesting woman we've covered in the sense of like just all the ra- like all the different stuff she did in her life. She's got to have one of the most jam-packed lives of any of the women we've covered. She had 12 fucking kids. That's insane. <laughs> and I don't think she birthed I don't think she had birth gave birth birth to any babies. I love she- that piece that she was like I ain't going to wreck this body. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> Like that. Also, like, she inspired people like, um, what's the, Mike Tyson to, like, get leopards and, like, get lions. Oh, yeah, I forgot that he had, like, one big, big game cats. Yeah, but you know how, like, at, like in the, two, like, early 2000s, like, every, like, African-American rapper, boxer, athlete, whatever, like, decided they're all gonna get, like, exotic animals on their <laughs> estates like yeah that started from josephine baker motherfuckers she also started the first like what was that stupid reality show kate plus like 28 uh-huh that was basically josephine baker <laughs> <laughs> she invented everything <laughs> um so yeah you obviously revealed she's a gemini i mean it's i mean it was either gonna be gemini or aquarius yeah that's about it yeah or i maintain leo just because she was a performer but yeah that's true i feel like she has leo in her chart somewhere she for sure has to yeah that is she's so good like she's so great she's so good i love her i know Ah, big ups josephine big pour one pour one out for (laughs) you i love it um should we end on i would ask if you had a woman of the week but you know damn fucking well i have no women of the week you know what my woman of the week is me there you go woman there of the you month go. yeah woman of the life there you I fucking feel like go i've just been like punched repeatedly in the face for 29 days and i think i've handled it really well so i'm my woman of the fucking month cheers to that shit <laughs> with my coffee cup cheers to that (laughs) do you have any well mine is someone i've probably already done but is appropriate which is my therapist tanya just because i covered a therapist today and because i told melissa this i saw her today and i was much better probably because the shrooms i took last night but last week when i saw her i like it was the kind of therapy session where i walked out and i was like Oh, I think that was like harder for her than it was for me because I was just such a wreck. I think she was just like, I mean, like you work with a client long enough, you're going to care about them. Like you're still a human being and I get along with her really well. And she just looked hurt at the end of the last session. So when I saw her today, I like made a joke about it. I was like, yeah, like you looked, (laughs) you looked real tore up at the last. She was like, yeah, I canceled all my appointments after you. She was like, no, she said, just kidding. Like she was just fucking with me, but so shout out to Tanya for putting up with my depressed ass for the next, for the last two or three months as I've been <laughs> dealing with whatever this is. And also just because, as I said earlier in the episode, good therapists are hard to find. So when you find one, hold on like hell. So yeah. Thanks, Tanya. I know I highly doubt you're listening. I hope not for your own sanity. <laughs> but oh my God. That's my, that's my woman of the week. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. Well, we will be picking up as usual. So you'll be hearing this Monday, March 4th, and we'll be recording weekly and uploading episodes weekly. So yay! sorry my house was destroyed in a flood and we couldn't record, but you know what? That's life. We're back. We're back. We're back. Backstreet's back. All, All right. right. <laughs> um, and if you've made it this long and you were new to the podcast and this was your first episode, like you're already a super fan and we love you. Hit us up, mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Subscribe. Leave us a review, but only if it's nice. And follow us on Instagram at mimosasisterhood. And Twitter. <laughs> she forgot we had Twitter. Have we used that? Yes, We're- I'm still using Twitter today. God, you're doing great. I'm Killing doing it. great. You want to know who one of our biggest engagements on Twitter is? Is it Sexy Pillows? No. Who? It's the Awkward Screw. Do you oh, remember them? Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you'd remember them. Oh, I remember the awkward. Okay, screw. so the awkward screws a big fan of ours on Twitter. In case you're wondering. Hi guys. Hey guys. Melissa's really into the cane game. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. I, how could I ever forget? Because he... Okay, we can cut this. Because he was the only person at podcast with a cane who actually needed one. <laughs> yeah. Well, All right. Well, until next week. Bye, Moses. Benny, if you're listening, we would really like for you to start volunteering on the podcast like he's, tomorrow. He's not listening. But please do. All right. Bye. Over and out. Till next week. Bye.